right? Pastor Robert is on vacation for the next two weeks, so we'll be looking at a couple of uh, different passages together before we get into our new series. I invite you to open this morning to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 6. Verses 16 through 21. John 6, verses 16 through 21. This is God's word. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This ends the reading of God's word. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, as we come before your word, we remember that it is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by your truth that you would show us Christ and his grace in this remarkable story of this miracle on the sea. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would use the truth that we consider this morning to make us more and more conform to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Well, the story we're going to be looking at today is also found in Mark's Gospel. And in Mark's gospel, we read that the disciples strained against the oars in this storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's a powerful phrase, straining against the oars through rough waters. Isn't that a great description of life? Have you felt maybe this week you've been straining against the oars? Maybe this year you've been straining against the oars through rough waters, uh, trying to make headway through difficulties, disappointments, discouragements, There are a lot of uh, pictures for life's hard times that we can draw from Scripture. We could think of Jeremiah in the pit. We could think of Job on the ash heap, sailing through storms, as in our story this morning. We know what it's like to experience these moments in life, longing for God to show up and to bring us safely through the storm to the other side. When sickness wraps its cold, hard fingers around a family member, Uh, When someone you love is experiencing tremendous suffering, perhaps a breakdown in their family, perhaps abuse. When the country that you love is deeply divided and you don't know what to do about that. Uh, When the future is uncertain and your plans have all kind of gone up in smoke and you don't know what's going to happen. What will it take for you to trust God in the deepest and darkest and stormiest moments uh, in your life? So brothers and sisters, I want you to hear the voice of comfort in John 6 this morning. Uh, It was the voice that calmed the disciples' fears. It calmed the raging waters of Galilee. And it's the voice that calms our fears in the midst of life's many, many troubles. Uh, No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it seems, uh, you need to hear this voice of comfort this morning. Uh, The the events that unfold in our uh, story this morning, they bore a message to the disciples as they strained against the oars in in their trial in that moment. We want to see that message for them in their moment of need. Uh, The story also connects to the big story, the the big story of redemption in all of Scripture. So we want to see how this story connects to the great story of redemption in Jesus Christ that we read throughout Scripture. 
And we also want to see how this story connects with us this morning and the things that we're experiencing. The voice of comfort that came to the disciples and that comes to you this morning is the voice of Jesus. And he says, it is I. Don't be afraid. So I want you to be encouraged this morning by this. Because Jesus is with you in the darkest, fiercest storms in life, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. And there are two things that our text leads us to consider. I want to look at them in turn. First, the danger that we face. And secondly, the deliverance Jesus brings. Let's look first at the danger we face, verses 16 through 19. I'll mention as we start getting into this story that this uh, account of the story in John's gospel is sort of uh, compact and it's abbreviated. We read the same story in Matthew and Mark in their gospel accounts. I've already mentioned Mark where he says they're straining against the oars as they battle this uh, raging storm on Galilee. If you're familiar with the story in Matthew and Mark, you might be aware there are some differences in the story. Uh, That shouldn't bother us or concern us. I think we do the same thing, don't we? When we tell a story about things that happen, maybe we tell it with more or less detail depending on the point we're getting across. And that's really what's happening here. Uh, For example, when Matthew tells the story, he includes Peter's attempt to walk on the water. What an amazing story that is. We don't find it here in John's account of the story. John focuses on something different because John is communicating something specific in his gospel. I'm going to focus more on what John wants to say to us in in this account of the story, but I just mentioned that so that you're aware. Uh, We know from Matthew and Mark and in the context when they tell the story that Jesus had sent the disciples on to Capernaum on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has gone away to pray, and the disciples are rowing their boat across the sea without their Savior. I love how one writer, uh, Herman Ritterboss, put it in his commentary on the story. He says that by, by sending the disciples on ahead and going alone to pray, that he becomes what he calls the absent one in the story. Jesus in this story is the absent one as this storm comes upon the disciples in the boat. That's an idea I want to work with as we look through uh, what John is teaching us today. You see, at first blush, that title seems a little bit out of place for Jesus, right? Maybe a little disrespectful to call him the absent one. But that's exactly what the disciples are up against in this story. They face a terrifying circumstance, and as far as they can tell, Jesus, their master, their savior, is nowhere to be seen. He's absent. He's unaccounted for. They're on their own. They're sensing the absent one. They're rowing their way across the sea. Darkness falls. The absent one is nowhere to be seen. And John tells us a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The figure of speech that John uses here, it's actually this idea of a wind blowing across the waters and awakening them, stirring them awake like a sea monster. It's a graphic image of of violence and danger. I get the idea that the Sea of Galilee isn't a beast that you want to wake up. It's like the saying goes, let a sleeping dog lie, but this storm has come across the sea and the waters are churning and they're awakening and threatening the disciples. Of course, we live near the coast, right? So when you think Sea of Galilee, you think, well, how bad could it be? It's kind of a big lake. Uh, This wasn't a hurricane like we're seeing on the shores of the United States. But let's just get a little bit of the lay of the land so you can picture what's happening in this scene. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is about 64 square miles. It's about 13 miles long, 7 miles across. Uh, To put a visual on that, it's just a little bit smaller than Washington, D.C. That's how big this sea is. To the north, you have the Golan Heights, a fairly tall mountain range. 
and then you have the Sea of Galilee that sits 700 feet below sea level. So this is all a recipe for storms. You have the cold wind and, and clouds from the mountains coming down into uh, the warm valley where the sea is, and it was a recipe for these storms to happen on the sea. And of course, they're dealing with ancient boats, right? It's not a fiberglass yacht or anything like that. This boat could not withstand the kind of storms uh, that, would, that would happen on the sea, and even the most experienced fishermen could be terrified. So here they are in the middle of the lake, they're facing this storm, one that they'd probably, they'd probably faced many storms like this in the past, but this seems particularly ferocious, and they're scared. They're terrified, and Jesus is the absent one in the story. He's nowhere to be found. I mean, can you imagine the doubts and disappointments that are starting to, to rise up in the disciples' hearts as they think, we're going down in this storm. Where is Jesus? How are we going to be delivered? What of all these promises that Jesus has made to us? So keeping that in mind, I want to show you now how this story connects to the, the larger story in Scripture of redemption in Christ. Uh, there was another time, if we can think back on the story, when God's people were in very similar circumstances, when they were in danger and doubts and disappointments were filling their hearts. And that moment, if you're thinking back on the story, was long before what happened in the Gospel of John. We read of it in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, when the people of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt, and now they stand on the, on the edge of the Red Sea, and they're hemmed in, and they're terrified. And see, what I want to point out is this isn't just a similar story. This story really is connected to what John is doing in his gospel, how he's conveying this event that happened on the Sea of Galilee. In John 6, 17 and 18, just before the story we read, Jesus has miraculously multiplied bread then he withdrew from the crowd because they rushed to him and wanted to make him king by force. So what's happening here? They start saying, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. What does that mean? Well, the connection they made was no doubt to the manna that was sent to feed the nation of Israel in the wilderness. And that theme gets picked up on later in John 6. All these themes from the Exodus are occurring here. And they say, surely this is the prophet, and they want to make Jesus king. They're thinking of Deuteronomy 18 where we read a promise. It says a prophet greater than Moses would be raised up from the people. And of course, the prophet is Jesus. It seems they wanted Jesus to do what Moses did, deliver them from political oppression. And they wanted it now. We always want the deliverance now. They wanted it now. But this deliverance wouldn't come the way they expected it to. It wouldn't come through political power. It would be a deliverance that's far greater than that. It would be a deliverance from a danger that's far greater than that. He would deliver his people from their sins. So with all this in mind and the context of what John's doing in John 6, it's not hard to see the children of Israel on the shores of the Red Sea in the background of this story. We read in Exodus 14, 10 to 12 that the people were terrified as Pharaoh marched upon them at the sea, and they cried out in despair that they had not been brought into the desert to die. They're experiencing the absence, that felt absence of God in that moment. Psalm 77 actually draws this connection between Israel's despair on the Red Sea and the danger that the disciples are facing on the Sea of Galilee uh, even more vividly if we look at Psalm 77. In verses 15 and following, we read, With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The Red Sea, to put it in John's words, was awakened. So we have this connection 
There's this connection between what would become the 12 tribes of Israel in peril on the banks of the Red Sea and the 12 disciples in peril on the Sea of Galilee and the absent one in both stories, or at least absent, so it seems. Where is God when Pharaoh's armies are marching against the people? And they're pressing in on them. Where is God when, where is Jesus when the disciples are straining against the oars and they think that they're going to be going down? This is a good place for us to ask the question, where is Jesus in the dangers that you face? Can you put yourself in the children of Israel's shoes or in the disciples' shoes and have you experienced that idea of the absent one where it seems like God is nowhere to be seen? Where is Jesus when the thing that you most fear is threatening to undo you? The sea throughout the Bible is this symbol of chaos and danger. Uh, Mountains are a place of safety, never moving, foundational, unassailable. And in Psalm 46, we read this amazing uh, picture of what it's like when we experience what we most fear threatening to destroy us, when the mountains are thrown into the sea. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. That's Psalm 46, 1 to 3. So where is God? Ask yourself this question. Where is God when your mountain is thrown into the sea? When your place of safety is cast into your most dreaded nightmare? You receive notice that your company is being downsized and you no longer have a job. You get the phone call that your teenage driver has been in a terrible wreck and is in the hospital. When a wildfire wildfire rips through your home or an earthquake threatens to destroy everything that you've built in your life, when your marriage is over, I don't know what it means for your mountain to be thrown into your sea, for the water to be awakened and to grow rough in your life. But in that moment, where is God? Is God absent? You see, that's what Asaph was wrestling with in Psalm 77, the psalm that's kind of laying its hands on the story of Israel at the Red Sea and on John's story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. He's, he's thinking about the absence of God, why the wicked are prospering, why everything is going wrong in his life, and what is happening. Asaph says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. The absent one. Have you ever felt that way? I stretched out my hands all night long, and I could not be comforted. But Asaph doesn't stop there. He says in verse 10, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. He appeals to God's faithfulness on the shores of the Red Sea when the Most High stretched out his hand through Moses. In the midst of chaos, a voice of comfort came. Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, familiar words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord brings you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. A voice of comfort, words that we've heard in our story this morning. Do not be afraid. That same voice, those same words coming from one greater than Moses, coming from one who has power over the wind and waves, it came to the disciples as they're on this boat, threatened with the storm, fearing that they will die. And the absent one now reveals himself, and he shows that he never really was absent. He never was absent in the first place. 
We've seen the danger we face, the storm. Let's look now at the Savior and the deliverance that Jesus brings. The deliverance Jesus brings. So there in the dark, in the storm on the sea, in the danger they faced, Jesus comes to the disciples and he brings deliverance. John tells us when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Clearly, Mark fills us in on why uh, in his gospel, in the gospel of Mark, he says they thought they saw a ghost. Their fear underscores this imagery of the stormy chaos of the sea. The sea was a frightening thing to them on all levels. It was associated with monsters, death, evil. What else could they be seeing but a ghost, an apparition approaching them on the water? But Jesus says to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Here's what we learn when Jesus approaches uh, walking over the chaos of the, of the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water. Jesus is the king over all creation. He is the absolute sovereign over all creation. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Jesus comes, and the wind and the seas that he created do his bidding. They answer to his voice. He is the incarnate word who has made flesh. He was in the beginning with God. He created all things. Through him all things were made. John opens his gospel with these words. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's the one who is coming with a word of comfort to meet the disciples on the sea. That's the Christ that meets them on the stormy waves. That's the Jesus that meets you when you're in distress, when you are battling the darkest moment in your life. He's never truly the absent one. Jesus is always there, whatever it is you're going through. He is not absent. It can't keep him from coming to you. However dark your situation, it cannot keep Jesus from finding you. Well, going back to Psalm 77, what was the answer to Israel's predicament on the shores of the Red Sea? Moses tells them, just as Jesus tells the disciples, do not be afraid. But what happens next? How does the absent one appear in that story? Psalm 77, 19, your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. He was not absent. When the people crossed over the Red Sea, they were following the path of the one who was always there in the first place, though his footprints were not seen. He was there. It was his path. In our story, we see the Savior walking on the waves. He is seen walking on the storm, in the midst of the storm. Jesus is greater than Moses. He is not simply greater because he is the prophet who will deliver his people from the greater captivity of sin and death, but because he's a prophet who bears the very name of God. He is God in the flesh, who is himself the divine word. And he says, a word of comfort, it is I, do not be afraid. Now in John's gospel, whenever Jesus says it is I, we have to think about that. This is a preview of what John will record in the rest of his gospel. The words I am are a claim to be God. That's what was claimed out of the burning bush speaking to Moses. Tell them I am has sent you. And John uses that. Jesus, uh, he, he structures his gospel sharing Jesus' claim to be God himself saying I am. That's not what Jesus is saying here on the waves. It also just means it's me. Jesus is saying don't be afraid. It's me. But then seven times right after our story, Jesus will describe who he is. I am. Seven descriptions of who he is as the eternal one, as a self-sufficient one, as God himself. 
This is a preview. It's because of who Jesus is as the I am that those words were comforting to the disciples or should have been comforting to the disciples. The next one that Jesus says will be, I am the bread of life in John 6, 35. Again, connecting to the story of Israel and the Exodus. So right now here to these terrified disciples, Jesus says, hey, it's me. Don't be afraid. But then he's going to fill in what it means to be Jesus throughout the rest of the gospel. So what happens next? John says they were willing to take him into the boat. That's probably an understatement. They were glad to finally see Jesus show up. Matthew and Mark tell us that he did get into the boat. And then there's a miracle within a miracle in the story. I don't know if you noticed it. They take him into the boat, and it says immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. There's another psalm that probably lies behind the way John describes this story in his gospel. Uh, Psalm 107, 23 and following says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Well, that's what the disciples should have been doing, praising the Lord for this great and immediate deliverance that Jesus brought. They should have been bowing down in worship and awe, but they weren't. They weren't. They didn't quite get it. In Mark, we read, they were completely amazed They were, in other words, dumbfounded. They didn't quite understand. It was perplexing, that sort of amazement to them. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. One preacher observed that they probably had baskets of leftover bread from the miracle of multiplying the loaves in their boat at their feet. And they still don't get it. They still don't understand who Jesus is. Their hearts were hardened. I want to plead with you today. Don't let your heart be hardened. That can happen many ways. Maybe it's simply that You hear a sermon week after week after week, and things can become ritual, tradition, something you do on Sunday, but don't be hardened to the amazing truth of who Jesus is. Let this sink into you. When Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. As believers, even in the darkest moments that we face, which we can kind of put ourselves, I think, in the boat with the disciples many, many times throughout the week, certainly over the course of our lives, there will be times when we are that desperate for Jesus to show up. And we need to hear those words, it is I, do not be afraid. As believers, even in the darkest moment we face, uh, Jesus has gone through a far more terrifying uh, moment that that awaits us because of our sin. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he went through the deepest, darkest storm that we could ever face in life. Because of that, he is with us in all of the comparatively minor moments of despair and discouragement that we experience. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, uh, you will never escape the storm of God's wrath if you don't turn to him. Jeremiah 30, 20 to 24 says, Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who would dare himself to be close to me? 
declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. The day has come for us to understand this, to recognize the fury of God's wrath and to turn to the Savior. When God breaks forth like a storm on the final day and his wrath comes in condemnation of those who have not turned to him by faith in Christ, it will be obliterating. It will be a storm that cannot be escaped. And it will be the due punishment. It will be the deserved punishment for those who have not bowed the knee to King Jesus. So I urge you this morning, if you have not turned by faith to Jesus, he is the one who welcomes you today. It is I. Don't be afraid. Come to me. His voice of judgment can become the voice of comfort to you. It is I. Don't be afraid. Jesus can reach you if you by faith are clinging to him. He can reach you because he took the storm of God's wrath upon himself, standing in your place at the cross. He can reach you. He dared to approach God as the Holy One, but with your sin on his shoulders. And God's wrath broke on him like a storm. Three days later, he rose victorious over the deep, over death itself, to give life and peace to all who call upon his name. Now when you approach the Holy God, despite your sinful failings, you approach him and you are seen in the beloved. You're reconciled because Jesus wept those bitter tears and cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why are you the absent one? Why have you forsaken me? When you're wondering in the middle of your pain and your heartache and your loss where God is, when God will show up, you can turn to Jesus because Jesus knows what it's like to experience the absent one. God was there all along. God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus, but he, had never, he never abandoned God the Son. Even still, Jesus in his humanity has felt the piercing pain of the absence of God. He knows what you're going through. And he experienced that in your place so that God would never be absent if you were turning to him by faith. So where is God? Where is the absent one in the story? Well, the whole point is he's not absent at all. That's really the point that this communicates. From the same author who called Jesus the absent one, Ritterboss, listen to this wonderful encouragement to those who trust Jesus. He says, In virtue of the glory given him by God, no darkness was too deep, waves too high, or see too wide for him to find them and be with them in the midst of that tumult. That's good news, isn't it? No darkness too deep, no waves too high, no sea too wide. Jesus is at your side through it all, and you're safely carried even in the darkest storms that you face. You can trust him. You can turn to him and know that he is there. God's word from beginning to end speaks the voice of Jesus and the plan to deliver his people, men and women, from the captivity of death and sin into newness of life. So listen to that voice that says, it is I, do not be afraid and trust it. Let's pray together. Father, we need to be reminded every day that you are not absent, our Savior is not absent. It is so easy for us to not see beyond the clouds of difficulty in our lives, the fog of discouragement and disillusionment, wondering what is happening and why it's happening and where you are. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your gospel, that in your word we would see Jesus, 
page after page of Jesus speaking words of comfort to us. We pray that that would strengthen us in our faith to follow you more closely and to love him more dearly. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.